God is not just observing us. Wouldn't that be a shame? God is not just observing us. Wouldn't that be a shame? If God is not just observing us, wouldn't that be a shame? If God was just watching and, and he watched his kids and was like, oh, my gosh, look at that. Jesus, look at that. Holy Spirit, look at that. Look what's going on with them. That's too bad. He doesn't do that. He's right there with you. He's there to help you overcome. You know, the world has these sayings, and, and I just want you to uh, finish the quote. When the world gives you lemons. Yeah. Okay, so uh, difficult things happen. Things that you don't like. Some things that are sour or not, not what you want. And so we, we need to make lemonade. Now, I, I want you to realize that the world has an idea of what's going on sometimes, but it really doesn't change what's going on. You take lemons and you make lemonade. You have to add something to it, but it's still a product of lemons. The Bible says that God will work all things for good. That means it doesn't start out good, but it will become good as we work with God. And God is allowed to work in us to cause us to see something that is amazingly different and so much better than we could ever imagine because we partner with him. How many of you know that, that the kingdom of God is about a partnership, right? It's not just about God doing what he wants to do. God's going to have his way, but he's looking for people to partner with him for him to be able to work in them and through them so that all those around them would see God because Right now, everybody's looking for a solution, for an answer, for, for a way that will cause them to be established in a very unstable world. And, and we've been learning about um, what God's plan is and how he's prepared and planned things for us and, and how revival is what God has intended. But revival isn't just something that happens out there. You know, sometimes we think about revival being uh, masses of people being saved, and that's, that is part of it. But it's the end part. It, it's, it's the result of what real revival begins as. Revival, if you revive something, if, if let's say, no, I won't pick on Pastor Gabe. Let's say Jeremy falls down, and, and he needs some help. And somebody, uh, Becky, breathes into him and helps him breathe again and gets him going. And, and uh, he's revived. Okay? It's, it's to bring life, life back in. Right? So it starts with us and God. We need to be reconnected with God so that that life comes flowingly fresh in us. Absolutely fresh and new. And I don't know about you, but I know on a regular basis, I go through kind of cycles. And I didn't notice that early on in my life. I wish I had recognized that before. But realizing that there are, there are some ups and downs and, and I want to be on the upswing. No matter what comes and, and may cause me to uh, feel like I'm moving down, I want to be able to step up with God. And he's the one that helps me with that. But it's because of my connection with him. But it's not exclusively with my connection with him. It's my connection with him and then my connection with others in him. 
Have you recognized that you, it's just not you and God, you, you, God uses other people in your life? I hope you have, because he does. That's the way God works. Remember, it's a partnership. God's going to work through people. And so revival requires unity. But the first uniting is us with God. Then it's us with one another. And the result of that is revival in the world. People are born again. And we see that and we looked at that in John chapter 17 where Jesus prayed. And, and he said, Father, uh, let them be one in us as we are one. Let them be one with one another so that the world would believe that you sent me. Now that's in John 17, 21 and 23. And we looked at that and we saw the importance of, of that unity for us with God, for us with each other, and for the world to be reached and to believe who Jesus is. But we also came to understand that unity requires something. And I'm not going to ask you because I, I don't want to feel bad about the fact that you don't remember what we had taught, but unity requires love. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 in the NIV, it says this. There it is. Over all these virtues, put on love. Another translation says, above all these, clothe yourself with love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, or love binds us all together in perfect harmony. So this love is what is the cement. It's what keeps us united. Without love, we will not be able to stay united. How many of you know people do things that you don't like? Nobody poke anybody else. Don't look at somebody and say, I'm looking at you. Uh, but, but people do because they're not like us. And we, we innately want people to be just like us. We want them to think the way we think and do what we do and value what we value. And God said, no, I want everybody. I want a variety of people. But in that variety, I want a unity. Because where there's unity, there's power. Because Jesus said a house divided or a kingdom divided or a nation divided or a city divided or a family divided or a church divided will not what? Stand. It won't stand. It, 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 it'll be desolate. And so this unity is so important and it comes through love. But in here we see that this, this love has characteristics and we learned a couple of weeks ago about what, how important love is because love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4.8 says love covers a multitude of sins. Now it's not talking about our sins. It's talking about the sins of others. When somebody sins against you, somebody does something against you and it, it causes injury or irritation. Thank you. I'm glad one person is, is honest about that, that there are people that irritate us and injure us. Again, don't look at somebody and, and to make them know that I'm talking about them. But that irritation, that injury, when we walk in love, when we have the characteristics of love, when we have the elements of love, the essentials of love, it'll cover that. And, and we learned that was a lot like an oyster. When an oyster gets an irritation or an injury, it begins to coat whatever is irritating it or injuring it with a layer of something. And it continues to put layer upon layer upon layer and it eventually becomes what? A pearl. Right. Something that was very not good becomes beautiful and valuable. Now listen. 
the things that are injuring and irritating us with God who works all things for good, right? Didn't start out as good, but can become good. It can become beautiful and valuable in our life because we choose to surround these things with love. That's what covers means. It means to surround or encapsulate or encase whatever it is of the sin somebody else has done, we choose not to just let it irritate and continue to injure us. And you and I both know that we can do that. If we don't begin to cover that with love, we're going to continue to be irritated and injured and it's going to get worse and worse. It's kind of like a, a splinter in you, something that doesn't belong there. If it's not taken care of, it's going to become infected. It's going to become inflamed. It's going to become more uh, impacting in our, our bodies and our lives than ever before. And unfortunately, some Christians today, they're not covering these things with love. They're just letting them sit there. I guess I ought to talk this way. Because nobody can do anything about this but you. I can't do this for you. God won't do it for you. Only you can do it for you. And it's a choice. It's an action and it's an effort. And it's something that has to be ongoing. You know, a pearl doesn't become a pearl because one time the oyster coats that irritation or that thing that's injuring it with one layer. It's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And it's the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live coating these things with love. God will deal with them. You make sure you're walking in love. Because God works all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. That's how, how we really show our love for God. But this... this Love that covers this sin, it doesn't cover it up, it just encapsulates it so it doesn't continue to injure us and, and we won't, being injured, injure other people. Hurting people, what? Hurt people. And so when we begin to cover these things in love, then we will be less likely to injure other people because of the injury that's come to us. Does that make sense? I hope it does. And, and we began to look at what this, this love is expressed as and experienced as. And we're going to go to verse 12 of the same uh, book in the same chapter. But before we do, we're going to pray. So if you just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Father, we know there's no place or time we can go or, or be that you're not there. But Father, often we find ourselves in situations that we struggle instead of snuggle. We, we try and do our best instead of entering your rest. And today, Father, we, we thank you that we can look to you and listen for you because we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Father, I thank you today for using me in whatever way you choose to speak your word that, Father, there would be an impartation an implant of your word into your people. Father, I pray for hearing hearts. And Father, each person today would receive what you have for them. Walk out of here prepared and provided with what we need to change, to grow, to be all that you have for us to be and do all that you have for us to do. And we thank you, Father, 
for working in us to be able to work through us to impact all those around us. And we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3, we began to look at this. And we've looked at a couple of the characteristics, how, how love really is expressed and experienced. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. All right, this is something you put on. This is something you make sure you keep on. We talked about this weeks ago about uh, we don't want to be Christians that are without our clothing. We don't want to be streaking. And, and it says, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness. Uh, did you notice in the word for you today, the, the book that we give out to you the last two days, today and yesterday, it was all about kindness and, and the blessing of kindness, what comes from kindness. But we've gone through those two. We were looking at humility. And humility is the state or quality of being free from pride or arrogance, lowliness of mind, having a modest estimation of one's own worth, while also showing respect and value to others. Now, humility is not a characteristic that is often seen in our society. How much do respect do we see people showing to each other? No. But that is a characteristic of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is one of, of honor, respect, of valuing other people. And, and if we're Christians and heaven is our home, we should be practicing for it here. Amen? You know, I, I have a, a theory. doesn't mean anything. It's just my thoughts. That there are going to be some people, it's going to take them quite a while to acclimate to heaven because they aren't adjusting here. You know, if we start to do what's going on in heaven, we're going to be part of the prayer that Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we should get to heaven and it shouldn't be a great adjustment because we're already living heaven on earth. <laughs> but it's a choice. And it's not easy. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. It's something that is counterintuitive. It is against what we've learned in the world. But it's exactly what Jesus showed us as he walked in this earth. And, and we should be showing other people the same thing. But valuing and, and walking in humility, walking in honor and valuing other people. Humility is a very important element or characteristic to God. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It tells us about humility in the new uh, century version and the good news translation the first one it says the lord has told you human what is good he has told you what he wants from you now if it's good and what he wants isn't it something that we ought to align ourselves with i would think to do what is right to other people love being kind to others, and live humbly obeying your God. So there are a few things right here. Any of those things something we can't do? Is any of this beyond our ability to choose? Do what's right to others. But we all struggle at times doing what's right instead of doing what we want. And we get in our way. And we get in God's way. Then it says, love being kind to others. 
Now, being kind, that word kind means useful or helpful. It used to be in our society, when I was growing up, and I know our society has changed radically, but growing up, I remember my dad always stopping to try and help people. I mean, we, we would be late for things because my dad would want to help people. And it seems like we don't want to get involved that much anymore. Or maybe that's just my perception. But we're, we're a little bit more removed. And there's a reason for it because things are getting more challenging. But we should not be devoid of that willingness to stop and be kind to somebody. It's part of the way they're going to see Jesus. Then it says, live humbly. Obeying your God. You know, one of the things that, that is so challenging is when you see Christians that are not living humbly. You know, one of the things that, that has always challenged me is, and I think it challenges all of us, more people know what we're against than what we're for. And we don't see Jesus living that way. And yet for some reason we have this thing that rises up in us to be able to say, oh, what good is it doing? How is it, how is it drawing people to Christ? Now in the Good News translation it says, no, the Lord has told us what's good. What he requires of us is this, to do what's just, to show constant love, and to live in humble fellowship with our God. If we live in humble fellowship with our God, we're going to live in humble fellowship with each other. We're, we're going to value other people. We're going to honor other people, brothers and sisters in Christ, and even people in the world. Because when we do that, people stop and take notice. It's unique. It's what the Bible says is peculiar. We're supposed to be peculiar people, not weird people, peculiar, different, different from the norm. And when you stop and show value and you care about other people and we're kind to other people and, and we honor other people when we don't need to, that's the very thing that God uses to pull people towards him because it's a characteristic of his. God, God was... Throughout the Bible, we see God honoring people, allowing people to, to see the value that he had in them. And so we need to do the same thing. But this is where it's, it's so important that we walk in the things that God has for us. And as we do, there's going to be an impact on other people. As we walk in humility, there's going to be a unity. There's going to be an impact. Uh, Martin Luther, who was used to um, start a revival that affected many, many people. It, it began and, and people started to hear the truth of God's word and they began to move towards God and they began to give credit to Martin Luther. And, and it just broke his heart. He was heart sick over this. He was appalled by the fact that people began to call themselves Lutherans. Okay, and, and he actually said, it was recorded, that he said, 
Do not call yourselves Lutheran, but Christian. Why should I give my meaningless name to Christ's children? You know, he was a humble person. He recognized this was about God, not about him. And sometimes we, we tend to put people up on pedestals. Hello? And I want you to know there's only one that was perfect, and that was Jesus. The rest of us are all working out our salvation. We're all walking out our salvation. We're all learning and growing, and we all trip up at times. And yet God doesn't turn his back on us. God's there to help lift us up. And we, we need to be aware that there's no one. Even Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Look for, for God in people and exalt the Lord, but don't exalt the people. Because the moment we do, we're going to find ourselves disappointed, hurt, irritated, injured. Then we have to wrap it in love and continue on. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 in the ERV says this. Whatever you do, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. Be humble, honor others more than yourselves. But in the world that we live in, are, are we seeing a lot of humility, a lot of honor? No. What are we seeing? We're seeing what this says. Selfishness and pride. The first time we see pride in the Bible, it was at the fall of Lucifer, one of the three archangels, who, because he said, I'm going to exalt my throne above the Most High. And does anybody remember why he began to have those thoughts, express those perspectives? Because he began to recognize the things that were in him that he thought were so grand. In the garden at the fall, was what was the first thing that Adam and Eve became aware of after sin? Yeah, themselves. When we begin to look in at ourselves, it's a real recipe for pride arising, for selfishness being our motivation. You know, we need, to, we need to let ourselves go and give ourselves to God and begin to care for others and, and be considerate and honor others. When we do, it, it is a gateway to one of the greatest experiences in life to be able to see God use you and impact others. But it says, whatever you do, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. That doesn't leave anything out. Our motivation can't be from a self point. It needs to be from a God perspective, God-oriented. And then humble. Be humble and honor others more than yourselves. Now, we see the humility of Jesus. You know, Jesus humbled himself and died on the cross. But today, there, there's one example we're going to look at, and that is in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, this, to set this up, this is when Jesus is at the Last Supper with the disciples. Now, 
in this moment, is it a laid back, comfortable, no worries time? I, I know, I know. I'm asking obvious questions, but I'm asking you because you need to really consider. We need to consider what is the environment that this is going on in. This is, this is the night that, that Jesus is having the last meal with the disciples. It's really the last time he's going to be with them before he goes to the cross, except in the garden, but that's not, he's really praying. And so he's interacting with his disciples. Now, the disciples, what were they like? Misfits, yeah, they, you know, like us. All right, these are the guys that, that are always arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, who's going to sit next to Jesus uh, at the right hand of his throne when he's in heaven. You know, there's, there's constant interaction with them. They're, they're at each other. But these are the guys Jesus chose. I'm so glad that he chose guys like this because I would fit in. All right? I think we'd all fit in. If he chose all perfect people, we'd all be in trouble. But these were, these were people that were struggling with various things. And so in this moment, Jesus says, I, I want to do this. I want to have this time with you. It's really important to me. And they go in and they sit down ready for dinner and something hasn't happened yet. All right? There's a, a situation that normally in that culture um, where the roads paved and nice highways, really clean, kept, you know, they had the street sweepers out there making sure all the grime was off it. No, the roads were a mess. Actually, the roads were, a were a, where a lot of the sewage would go down through. And people were walking in sandals or barefoot. And what would happen is all that filth would get on them and encrusted on them. And they'd go to somebody's house. And it's still this way in the Middle East. When you walk into a house, you leave your shoes at the door. Now, it, it's that way here in some people's homes. But they had a servant in most houses or the person who was the host would do this, but they would wash the feet of everyone that came in. At this, this last supper, nobody washed anybody's feet. They all came in. And we picked this up, and it says it was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over some things. Oh, yeah, it does say everything. Okay. Over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, this is, this is monumental. It says they were all there for the supper, and yet nobody had washed their feet which was very uncharacteristic. And usually what would happen is the lowest servant in that household, if they had servants, would take a specific towel. It was a known towel and would wash and dry all their feet. Nobody had done it. 
usually the lowest servant. And who gets up to do it? Who should have gotten up to do it? Anybody but Jesus, okay? Anybody but Jesus should have done this. And yet Jesus rises, he sees the need, and he begins to wash all the disciples' feet. But it said he got up from the table, and what did he do first? He took off his robe. Then he put on the towel. This towel was known as a servant's towel. It was the lowest servant in the household. And so the robe, what was his robe like? What do we know about his robe? Think about at the cross. What happened at the cross? What did the Roman soldiers do at the cross? They gambled for his robe. They didn't want to divide it. It was so nice. It was so valuable that they said, somebody needs to have this intact. And so we're going to gamble for it. So he took off something that was very valuable, put it aside. put on something that was very humbling. And this, this, we need to see, is very much like what Jesus did when he left heaven. When Jesus left heaven, he took off all that was his as God. And he put on the form of a servant. But here he is doing it in the presence of his disciples. And he begins to wash their feet. Now it tells us that Jesus knew what was going to happen with Judas. Do you think he knew what was going to happen with the other disciples too? And what was going to happen with the other disciples? What was Peter going to do in a few hours? He would deny Jesus. What would most of the other disciples do when he was on the cross? They would scatter. He, he, they would abandon him. So here's somebody who's going to betray him. Another one that's going to deny him. A number of them that are going to abandon him. And what's he do? He shows value to them. No matter what they're going to do. Because no matter what they do, are they valuable to God? No matter what you do, no matter what I do, we are valuable to God. God's not going to change his love for us because we deny him. He's still going to love us. And I don't know about you, but I see it in Peter. In a few hours, Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. And then later on, after Jesus is raised, he tells them all to get together, meet him. And when Peter sees him, Peter is gripped by a number of things. And he realizes he, he, he's denied the Lord. And yet Jesus embraces him. Jesus doesn't point out and say, hey, Peter, why'd you do that? 
Jesus chooses to just love him in spite of what he did. And he's restored. But right here, he takes off his robe. He puts on a servant's towel and he begins to wash and dry all their feet. The last person that should have done it. Anybody else should have jumped up and done that. And, and later on in this chapter, Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, a rabbi and Lord, and so you should. But I've washed your feet. I've given you an example, and this is what you should do for one another. And that's where love comes in. When we love, when we choose to love the way God has for us to love, we walk in humility. We don't... We don't out everybody in their sin. We choose to, to help clean them, take care of them. The injury that's happened to us. Do you, do, what do you think was going on in Jesus when he's washing Judas' feet? He's washing Peter's feet. He's washing the feet of these people that are going to abandon him and betray him and, and, and deny him. Do you think there was some pain in there? And yet he didn't let his pain be his guide. He let love be his guide. Humility be his guide. And what do you think the disciples thought about when they remembered that night? You know, Peter, he's, he's denied the Lord, and yet the Lord washed his feet. Other disciples abandoned the Lord, and yet the Lord washed their feet. I, I have experienced this a couple of different times. We haven't done it in this, this church. Just haven't felt God directing us to do this. But one of the times that I had my feet washed was in Haiti. When we went to Haiti, we went during the rainy season. And uh, you never walked with shoes on in the rainy season because your shoes would come off. They'd get stuck in the mud and you'd lose your shoes. So everybody carried their shoes. Now, for some of us who have tender feet, that was a real challenge. But we walked through the woods on a road. It was two ruts filled with mud and water to a village, had a meeting, came back in the dark. We had flashlights, got back. And I have to tell you that, that we had mud up to our knees, not just a little sp sprinkling. It was caked on. Got back and, and it was time to, to go to sleep. And there was a missionary at New Missions, who met myself and an, another guy, Gerald, and said, uh, could you come with me? We were like, you know, it's been a long day. We want to get, get cleaned up. Now come with me first. And, and this person brought us to a bench where there was a basin and a towel and at that moment, I have to tell you, I, I just, no, 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 I'm not going to let you do this. 
Because it was so humbling that somebody who didn't really know me would care about me in a way that I felt undeserved. And yet, I was mistaken. This is what God has for us to do for each other. Maybe not physically, but we need to do it with each other where we're helping each other stay clean. We're, we're helping care for each other. Where we're willing to stoop down and take the role of a servant to serve somebody else in a way that helps their lives get ahead. I did eventually allow this person to, to wash my legs and my feet. Gerald and I sat there and, and nothing was said. It, it, was, it, was, it was a moment in time that I will never, never forget. But it was a moment in time that God was very present. And he's always there, but one of those moments where I was more aware of God's presence than other times. That's what that did for me. And I'm telling you, when we do that for each other, it's an opportunity for people to be very aware of something that is different from the world we live in. And it's about God, and it's about love. And yeah, we can look at this and say, well, you know, Jesus, uh, he, he, he does everything right. And he did. But it's not just about him. Like he told his disciples, I've done this for you. I've given you an example. Do it for each other. We're going to look at one other person's life because we're going to see that what humility does and how it interacts with other people. And that's Moses. Last, last week I, I spoke to you about Moses and how the Bible says that in uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says that Moses was the most humble, was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Very humble, more than all the men on the face of the earth. Wow. And how did that humility show up? Now, before we go there... How was God using Moses? What was Moses' role? To lead Israel. To lead them out of bondage in Egypt into the promised land. Correct? Quite a responsibility. It wasn't just a group of 12, 24, 36. It was millions of people. And Moses has this, that can be pretty heady. Everybody's looking to you. Wow, there's Moses. Ooh. But it says Moses was very humble. More than all the men who were on the face of the earth. But it could have easily gone to his head. And we're going to see that he being human, there were things that happened. 
But in this situation, going back to verse 1, we, we see this in context, and we're going to read this. And starting in verse 1 in Numbers 12, it says this. Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and brother, okay? Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Okay, another word for an Ethiopian person was a Cushite. And we don't know for sure, scholars are divided, whether Zipporah, his Ethiopian wife, had died and this was a second wife after the death of his first wife that he had married, or this was speaking about Zipporah, who was Ethiopian or Cushite. Either way, it really doesn't matter because all of a sudden, Miriam and Aaron are speaking against something that there's no reason to speak against. They're having issues, but this isn't the issue. How many of you know sometimes people have issues with you and you hear some things, but it's not really the issue, right? And that's the case here. Verse 2, it says, so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Now, what does his marriage have to do with God speaking through Moses. See, we're getting to the heart of what's going on. There's something underlying. And they say, is, is the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Now, this is, this is about them seeing where God has placed Moses, what God is doing. And there's some pride there. There's some envy there, some jealousy there just like happens in all of our, our lives. Can we be honest? You know, that's why it's tough sometimes where the Bible says we're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes we want to rejoice over those that weep and we want to weep over those that rejoice because it's not happening to us. What about us, God? And so in this moment, they're, they're starting to say, hey, you know what? We're here with Moses. We've been with Moses. God speaks through us too. And it was true. God, God used Aaron. God used Miriam. But God had chosen Moses. And it says the Lord heard it. Now in verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. So this is the environment that we're, that comes in contact with. There is an attack on him by family. We all know what that's like, I, I'm, I think. Things don't go well, people, people aren't, aren't in harmony and unity, and all of a sudden... There's this tension that happens in our families. Now we're going to see the rest of it. Go on. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. They both went forward. Then he said... Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with who? 
God's, God's showing the relate my servant. Not so with my servant. Whose servant is he? God's servant. The Bible tells us we shouldn't judge another man's servant. Whose servant are you? Come on. Who are you serving? Right. So we shouldn't be judging each other. God will take care of that. We need to love each other. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Now, you can read in other translations. This is an amazing statement by God about Moses. One, one translation says, I've given him the run of my house. So he's the most humble and he's the most faithful. Those two things go together. I speak to him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Do you think that, that Miriam and Aaron were shaken a little bit at that moment? Yeah, absolutely. God's calling them out because they called out his servant. They were speaking things about Moses that they had no business speaking about. And God starts to deal with it. I want you to understand, you don't have to defend yourselves. Whose servants are you? The Lord's. I, I, I have learned over time, and it's, it's, it's taken a lot of time. But when somebody would speak against me, the first thing I would want to do is be able to say, hey, no, that's not true. But the more that I would try and kind of put out the fires and make everybody aware of what I thought was true and what I thought was not accurate, the more people tended not to believe what I was doing because I was working so hard to try and convince them of something else. And what has to happen in our lives is we don't defend ourselves. We speak truth, but we leave our defense up to God. He is your advocate. Now, I say that and I make a, a general statement, but there are times you do have to defend yourself as far as not being aggressive towards somebody else, but just when somebody comes to you and says, is this true? You know what? This is my side of the story. But do you know most times people don't want to hear both sides. They hear one and go off. And for those people, you can't change their minds. Those who believe it, can't be convinced of something else. And those who know you can't be convinced of something else. And that's where you're better off. And just like Moses, God stepped in. God will step in. You may not be aware of it, but he'll make sure that the truth comes out eventually and in the right time and the right way. But in this situation... This happened, and I, 
It says, when the cloud departed, the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam and there she was, a leper. Now, leprosy in that time was, was determined to be your life was going to be an outcast. You were going to be disconnected from everybody. Now, this leprosy came on because of the judgment. She was found in error. Did God put it on her? God can't give what he doesn't have. But she became leprous. And I don't know, I'm not smart enough, and I don't know everything, so I can't explain to you how this all happens, but I'm going to tell you that I know God did not do it because he doesn't give what is evil. But in this moment, she's leprous. And what ends up happening is in verse 11 and 12, Aaron begins to panic. He confesses his sin. He repents of his sin of talking against Moses, his brother. And in verse 13, we see this happening. Moses cried out to the Lord, please heal her, O God, I pray. Moses was very humble, more humble than all the men on the face of the earth. All of a sudden, he's attacked by his sister and his brother, two of the closest people to him. And, and because they don't feel like they're getting their due. God hears it. Results happen. Things happen. Miriam becomes a leper. Aaron looks at her and he turns to Moses and he repents. And then he asks Moses to do something. Now this is a matter of minutes. All right? And what's Moses' immediate response? He cries out, please heal her. Oh God, I pray. This is part of the humility of Moses. He's covering that sin. He's choosing not to look at the sin. He's choosing to value and care about be compassionate and kind in his humility. And not in that moment. I, you know, I read this and I think, yeah, God, I don't know if I'd do that. I might be tempted to say, so, you're coming to me now? Speaking all this trash about me? And, and now you're coming to me? You need moi? That wasn't Moses. Moses was humble enough, walking in that humility, to value Aaron and Miriam beyond what they did. God, God, don't, don't. Heal her, God, heal her. Now, I have to tell you that this isn't an isolated situation. 
When you read through the book of Numbers, you see that the whole congregation, there was a group of, of notable, noble people that rose up against Moses. And you know what Moses' response was when people would rise up against him and Aaron? Same thing. Fall on their faces, go to God because of the humility. The Bible says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Church, there's a ready-made provision that God has told us about that we need to be aware of. And we need to be practicing. 1 Peter 3, 8, this isn't going to be up here. 8 through 10 says, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Keep a humble attitude, not returning evil for evil. Don't retaliate or insult. Pay, pay them back with blessing. Now, when I say that, even when I read it now, I know that's not normal. I know it's not natural. I know it's not what we would tend to do, but this is what God has for us to do. We're not supposed to live a life just what we feel, being directed by us. We're supposed to be led by, governed by, guarded by, guided by Holy Spirit. goes on to say, pay them back with blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. Whenever we're obedient to God, whenever we align ourselves with God, there is a greater blessing that's going to come to our lives, that can come through our lives and impact all those around us. And, and that's why God says, don't go the way of the world. Don't do what you've always done. Don't do what you've been taught in the world. There's a new and living way to walk in. There's a new kingdom, a different kingdom. This is a kingdom that elevates. Remember, the Bible says that God wants to take us from glory to glory. But to go from glory to glory, there has to be a change. And it's not a change in God. It's a change in us that we don't continue to do what we've always done the way we've always done and expect something different. We've got to do something different to get something different. And there is a different way to live, a way where we don't return evil for evil. We bless those that curse us and despitefully use us and pray for those who persecute us. A humble person will do that a person without humility has no chance of doing that. If I'm not humble and I'm prideful and I'm self-focused and selfish, when somebody does something bad to me, what is the likelihood of what I'm going to do to them? I'm going to do the same thing back to them. And that's just a war of escalation. Because when I do something bad to somebody else, they're going to want to do something back to me bad. And then I'm going to want to do it back to them. And there's no end to the cycle. And there's injury upon injury upon injury upon injury upon injury. And somebody, as a Christian, needs to stop and say, I'm not going to continue in this cycle. I'm going to break the cycle as far as it's concerning me. And that's why the Bible says, 
as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. That word peace means to be set at one again. Break the cycle. That's why Jesus talked about forgiving. Always forgiving. Forgiving 70 times 70. And in this portion of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to get into forgiveness. And I'm going to ask you to please, please begin to ask God to help you see. Because some, none of us see ourselves completely. Ask God to help you see. The psalmist said this, search me and show me if there's any evil way in me that's hindering you from having your way. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know, we've got to stop. And, and stopping and pausing is something that the Bible always is, is a supporter of. We need, we need to disengage and disconnect from a lot of the stuff that has our attention and is just distraction. And sit before God. And have God help us recognize what's really going on in our life instead of what we think is going on in our lives. And if he re reveals something, I will tell you that he's revealing it because he wants to partner with you to be able to overcome it. It's not about you just fixing yourself. It's about us in partnership with God experiencing the life-giving relationship that God can bring. Amen? Like every head bowed, every eye closed. There is a completely different way that, that the kingdom of God has for us. And it's, it's a way that we continue to mature in and develop in. And, and just as it, it was with Jesus, it's not when we try and take the higher place or show we're real important or real smart or real spiritual or we're real mature. The real maturity is shown in our humility, in our compassion, in our kindness, in our forgiveness. People recognize it. They don't have to have somebody tell them, well, you know what, I'm really mature. If you're really mature, you don't have to tell anybody. People recognize it. But it all comes as we We turn to God and trust in God and allow God to have his way in our lives. We partner with him and he'll guide us. We're, we, we're led by the spirit of God, but we have to walk. We lay aside or put off things that have been to put on or clothe ourselves with the new ways. Realizing that God's not expecting perfection. But he's looking for progression. If you've never turned to the Lord and given your life to the Lord, I want to pray with you today. It's a beginning. It's an end of sin dominating your life, but it's a beginning of allowing God to begin to develop your life as, as you and I Follow him. If that's you, if you've never turned to the Lord and entrusted your life with the Lord and received his forgiveness, today is the day. And if that's you, I, I just want to know that that's you. If you just lift your hand and say, that's me today. That's what, what I need. That's what I want. 
that I trust everybody here has. But just like I said, it's a beginning. This is a new and living way for us to walk in. It's something that we continue to progress in and gain ground in. It doesn't mean we don't trip up, we don't stumble, but we get back up. God, God is not going to cast us away because we make a misstep or we choose something wrong. We've got to turn back to him and acknowledge, Father, I've sinned, forgive me. And the Bible says when we confess our sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray right now for every one of us that you would help us to see areas of our lives that we've gone our own way, done our own thing, re returned to the ways of the world that we've learned, we were raised up in. Father, help us to return to you. Repent and turn around and allow you to cleanse us, to restore us, to guide us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. That, Father, we would be people that would be united with you in ever-increasing intimacy, dependence, and reliance. That out of that relationship with you and that fellowship with you, we would walk in love and restore unity in the body of Christ. That the world would see our love for one another and would know that we're, Lord, your disciples and believe that God sent you, Lord. And we would see revival in our, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world. But Father, let it begin with us. Help us to walk in this love that covers a multitude of sin. Help us to walk in this love that is compassionate and kind and humble and forgiving. Father, we thank you for the call you have on all of us and the invitation that you present to us to walk with you and to reveal you to all those around us. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen.